0: So we are continuing our hero series, and uh, I've taken the opportunity once or twice already to, thanks, Fliss. Let's just drop this down as well. Uh, To, uh, this is my lovely wife, by the way, in case you didn't know, just give Fliss a clap. (laughs) Oh dear, I'm gonna be sleeping in the spare room for the next three days. She, She hates me bringing attention to herself like that. No, I'm teasing. Um, I, I use this opportunity just to celebrate a few of our own local heroes. I don't know whether you realize this, but an extraordinary amount of work in our community goes on from this place and within this place. Last week, I told you about the, the wonderful show we, we, we hosted here on the Thursday night for the adults with learning disabilities. It was just an amazing event. It was so fabulous, and they did so well, and their parents just were gobsmacked and teary about the way that, that they did. And then yesterday, Flix, which is a ministry we have which reaches out to senior citizens, they hosted uh, an event here, a tea party. We had 100 people come along. Uh, dear Linda, um, not Linda, yeah, Laura Sleep, uh, who was in the first service. I don't think she's in this service. Are you, are you in this service, Laura? No, she snuck out, but she was in the last one, but Laura Sleep got a whole whole team from here, and she also got a bunch of her buddies from work to come down. They sort of served and serviced, and there was a, you know, there was ballroom dancing, and there was a live band, and it was just absolutely fabulous. But, you know, God bless Laura, and and any of you that were part of that team. In fact, just put your hand up if you were part of that team. Well, there you go, give them a little clap. (laughs) Unsung heroes, unsung heroes. Hazel Flynn, many of you will know, one of our, our, our staff members has just retired. She's been our administrator for about nine, 10 years, and she's done an, an outstanding job. You know, we're so grateful to God for these unsung heroes. You know, our refreshment team, You know that comment that I had from that fellow about the donuts, you know, we have donuts because many of you are signed up as part of our refreshment team. God bless you, and we mean, you know, give them a clap. There's always room for more, and if you think you could help out once a month or whatever it is, please have a word with, you know, ring the office or have a word with Richard. I don't know where Richard is this morning, but but he's here somewhere. I've seen him around. Uh, But yeah, have a word with Richard or just put your name over across the welcome desk. We'd love to have you helping with that. And then our car park team, you know, I have to say, before you clap them, Fliss and I arrive here at the crack of, well, crack of nine o'clock-ish on a Sunday, and uh, as we turn in, we are greeted by these guys in their y- yellow jackets, and they put the cones out, and they put the signs out, and often the rain's running off the end of their nose, and they're stood there with a cup of coffee. And, and we, are, we are so blessed by that, aren't we, Fliss? The car parking guys, you know, and some people are pretty rude to them, I have to say. You know, these aren't people in our employ. They're not council workers that are sent by the, whoever. These guys, I mean, there was, last service, there was a guy here who I was, you know, commending. He's, he's a, an award-winning architect. But, you know, he's out there in this yellow jacket, you know, shivering away. It's you guys. I mean, these people make you make this work. Unsung heroes. God bless you. Give everyone a clap. <laughs> and if you're not doing anything, it's time you started. Help one of those teams out. All right? Okay. I want today to speak of an extraordinary hero, a woman called Rahab. Talk about an unlikely hero. In fact, Den, when he was preaching last week, nearly gave the game away. I thought he was gonna preach my my sermon for me. But I wanna talk about Rahab. One of the, one of those who, uh, shall we say, um, uh, one of the workers in the oldest trade in, in history, prostitution. How extraordinary is that? That God could use someone in the sex industry as a key person, a key person in his plans and purposes. We're going to read Joshua chapter 2 and the first 15 or so verses, but let me just give you some background here. This story comes at the very beginning of Israel's invasion of the land of Canaan. Now, many of you will know that this has not gone well so far in that Moses leads the children of Israel, or the Hebrews as they were then known, who were a slave nation out of Egypt. They come across into the deserts of Sinai and it is God's plan to lead this slave nation, who is gonna make his people into a land that was reported to be flowing with milk and honey. A a, a land of, of plenty. And they were going to be his people, and he was going to be their God. Now God brings them out of Egypt, and then when it comes to that point to cross over into the land of Canaan, which was this land that they were going to possess, spies are sent into the land, Joshua and Caleb and one or two others are sent in, and they come back and they say, look, we've been there, it's an amazing place. Talk about a land flowing with milk and honey, it is better than that, you know, the the grapes are the size of you know, beach balls. You know, they're amazing. This is incredible. Only thing we need to worry about, and it's not really a big concern, but I should mention it, is that there are giants in the land. And they're well armed, and they're expecting us. And they're immense, and we're like gnats compared to them. But hey, God is on our side. Well, the young men, these spies, were all up for it. But unfortunately, when the people heard this report, the report they said, what? You think we're crazy. We're not going to go across there and face up to giants. You know, how quickly we forget that God's love endures. How quickly we forget God's victories in our life. How quickly we forget his provision. How quickly we forget his deliverance. How quickly it's just, it's gone. And these people who had seen God part the Red Sea and swallow up their Egyptian pursuers, and then say, oh, this looks a bit tough. I, I'm not sure whether, is it the right time? You know, should we not talk about this? Anyway, the Lord, uh, I won't say he loses his temper, but he certainly gets exasperated with them. And the net result is that the Lord says, okay, right. If that's your attitude, you lot are gonna walk around the desert for the next 40 years until every last man jack of you is dead. And then when you're all dead, the next generation, not you, the next generation, are going to take the land of Canaan, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they had faith and they were up for it. So 40 years go by, they wander around the desert, even Moses dies, and finally the leadership comes to Joshua, this young man who is now an older man. And so they are now in that place, Joshua 1, where they're going to invade the land of Canaan. This first assault has to go well. I hate the expression, but this is truly one of those situations where failure is not an option. If this goes well, everybody will be be heartened, everybody will slap each other on the back and say, told you so, I knew we could do it. Right, let's get on with this. But if they fail at this first, you know, event, then there'll be people saying, "Well, my dad always said that we shouldn't do it, you know." My, my uncle, he was going to go, but then, but no, they, they, there's giants in that. We, we you know, we, we can't. It was absolutely critical to the purposes of God. And who does God send to facilitate and to help the, the invasion? Rahab, the prostitute. I mean, I ask you. Let's read the story. Forgive me if my version varies slightly from that. We are, on, we are on to it and working on that nearly there. But anyway. Bless you. If that's a demon, be out with you. Are you going to do it again? Great. Terrific. I love you, Hazel. Unsung heroes, Graham and Hazel. They prayed for me. This is true, isn't it? Before we even started this church, we were at a conference and you guys prayed for me. I remember it now. The Spirit of God came on me so powerfully, I ran on the spot for I don't know how long. These guys prayed for me. And I fell over, that's right, you reminded me. Thank you for that. On the song Heroes, Graham and Hazel. Give them a clap. Okay, let's read the story. Joshua chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from the place which schoolboys snigger about. "'Go over, look, look over the land,' he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, "'Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land.'" but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of the flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the falls of Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, And when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And if we had time, we'd read the rest of the story. Many of you know it. They do escape. They do exactly what she says. They go and hide, and then they go back to the fords when the pursuit has has come back. The Israelites cross the Jordan after a, a short but extraordinary campaign. Jericho falls, and everyone is slaughtered. It's probably worth a sermon. It's called the ban. Everyone, with the exception of Rahab and her family who are in her house, And she has been instructed to put a scarlet thread, ribbon, rope, something over each of the doors and curtains. And the deal is this. If you step out of there, if any of your family step outside that, their blood be upon their own heads. But if you stay in there, you'll be kept safe. So, what can we say about this? Rahab, an unlikely hero... There are two or three things that as I was praying about this and thinking about this and I actually talked to Fliss about it that struck me. In fact, one of them made me, uh, actually moved me to tears. That's the last of my three points on this little talk. The first one is this, that Rahab is unusual because she believed in the God of the Israelites. Don't ask me how that happened. There was more than fear, there was faith. You know, we can walk in fear or we can walk in faith. She chose faith in the God of the Israelites. It saved her life. She believed in the God of the Israelites. Verse 11, she speaks of him as the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now, as many of you will know, in those times, every city, every region had their own gods. They were the Canaanite gods. She was a Canaanite. And in fact, the Canaanite gods cause the Israelites all sorts of problems in years to come because the Israelites kept sort of you know, covering their bets and worshiping them as well as Yahweh, the God of Israel. But something extraordinary happens in Rahab's heart. She hears these reports of what's going on and she doesn't just quake in fear and fall on her face before her house god and offer whatever sacrifices are appropriate, crying out to their, their God, the God of Jericho and Canaan, the gods of Jericho and Canaan. She, she actually jumps ship. She cries out to the God of the Israelites. She believed in the God of the Israelites. The secondly, she put her faith in it. You know, James says even the demons believe in God. It's one thing to believe in God. You may believe in God, but you may have no faith relationship with him. You may not be pursuing him. You may not be pressing him. You may not have come to that place where you've asked God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to fill you. That yeah, you believe in God. Well, James has said the demons, so What? So she believed not only that Israel's God was the, the bigger God, the greater God, but she actually put her faith in him and she says to the, the spices, look, in the name of God, Yahweh, not in the name of the Canaanite God or in the name of your God, but in the name of God, Yahweh, implication being whom we both serve, save me. And she abandons herself to Yahweh. She puts her faith, her trust in him. She's a remarkable woman. And then the third thing, and this was what moved me, I was taken aback. Is that she pleads not just for her own life, but she pleads for the life of her father, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all whom they love and care about. Why did this move me? Well, It's a broken, mixed-up, crazy, fragmented world we live in. And here in lovely, sunny St Albans, we've actually had opportunity over the years to minister to sex workers. Would you believe it? Would you believe it? We found that, without exception, and Linda can correct me later, but... Every single one of them have come from absolutely tragic family backgrounds. Every single one of them has some story of abuse, dysfunction, codependency, addictions of various kinds. They are very, very broken people. They didn't go along to the job centre and choose prostitution. They were conned into it. They were sometimes captured into it. And they sometimes resorted to it because there was nothing else. And they had such a poor image of themselves. But almost without exception, there is some terrible and torrid tale of a relative. Somebody who should have been safety and security to them at a critical time of their life abusing them. It seems to go with the turf. What moved me as I was just running through the sermon with Fliss, we were just sat in the garden having a cup of tea, and I was just running through and saying, Well, this is what I'm thinking. Suddenly I'm welling up and thinking, was I just suddenly realized that in this moment, when her life is at stake, she finds love, she finds forgiveness for her family. She pleads and bargains on their behalf. Yeah, you know, I, I I just cannot imagine that that her relationship with her family is good. I mean, can you can you just reflect on this for a moment with me? I mean, nobody says, "Oh yes," you know. Uh, you know, when we have friends around for a drink or or something like that, and neighbours, you know, come spend some time with us in an evening, you know, we talk about family and kids, and you say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, Roger, he's at, he's at St. Andrew's last year, yeah, and, oh, Emily, yes, she, she's taking a year out, working in Bosnia, had to look it up on the map, you know, all this kind of stuff. Nobody says, oh, oh, yes, Sylvie, well, oh, yes, she, oh, she's doing very well, gone into business, she's got a bordello on the Hatfield Road. It's not the sort of thing that families are excited about. One day, I'm going to meet Rahab and I'm going to ask her. I'm puzzled by one thing, Rahab. How was your relationship with your family? Were you one of the outcasts? Were you one of the black sheep? You better believe it. And yet, this extraordinary, unlikely hero, this woman who was going to be used of God in such an extraordinary way, she had grace, she had forgiveness, she abandoned her so-called right to bitterness And she pled for her family. You know, as the scriptures go on, uh, I, I find myself all the more amazed. Because at the end of this story, that's not the end of the story. Actually, she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. Some of you know all three. For others, this will be news to you. In the opening chapter of the New Testament, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter one, where there is the family tree of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Guess who is featured there? Rahab. She, this story finishes with a comment. It, you know, it says that Rahab became as one with the Israelites. She was adopted as a daughter into the family. The prostitute was adopted. She, the Israelites and Joshua kept their promise to her And she and her whole family became one with the Israelites. She then goes on to marry a guy called Salmon, who's the father of Boaz, who becomes the the, the husband of Ruth, another great hero. And she is one of Jesus's ancestors. This is extraordinary. You know, in, in many families, if they have a family tree, we all have them, we may not know them, but. You may have a black sheep in your family, you know. Well, Jesus is not ashamed of Rahab. She's there in the first chapter. If that wasn't enough, in Hebrews 11, which many of you will know is referred to as the sort of hall of fame or the hall of faith, where where the writer to the Hebrews is listing those who've gone before and who are now rooting for us, men and women who have run the race and run it well and completed what God intended them to do, She's listed in that list heroes of faith. You've heard about the Rock Hall of Fame or the Golfing Hall of Fame or whatever these Hall of Fames are. You know, these people, these sports individuals or, you know, prime ministers or whoever who've served. She's in there. Matthew 1, Hebrews 11. For me, the last one is perhaps the most breathtaking, and it's in James chapter 2. Verses 23 and 26. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. We, most of us, if we've been a Christian for a little while, will know that passage. It's a famous passage, but it goes on in the same way. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It staggers me that James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, Christ's own physical, natural brother, James who was martyred for his faith, should in the same breath as our father, Abraham, yes, refer to Rahab, and says, just the same. It's an extraordinary thing. So what do I, what's my takeaway? What, what do I learn from this? What, what, what is God saying to me about this? Well, I think two things that I need to reflect on, and I invite you to reflect upon them too. First one is, who's in and who's out? Who's in and who's out? It's a good question. You know, churches even today are quite good at telling you who's not in, You're like, who's out? Who's in and who's out? This challenges, this unlikely hero, dear Rahab, challenges our preconceived ideas. You know, when I was doing my placement, training for the ministry, I was seconded to a church in Battersea, an Anglican church as it happens, but it could have been any church, it just happened to be an Anglican church. And during their communion service, just as we have, they they have a thing called a peace. Many of you will know what I'm talking about. And it's sort of in the middle of the service, a bit like we do. There's a little break where you turn around and you you, you greet one another. Well, this, it was an evening service, actually. This evening service was different. I was there, I was on placement. I wasn't doing anything during the service. I was just sitting in the congregation. And after the service had started, not long, but it had actually started, a prostitute came in. A very obviously a prostitute, don't ask me, but she was a prostitute. And bless her heart, she tottered down and she sat in a pew in front of me, a little bit further along, but sat in front of me. During the peace, no one went up to her. During the peace, everybody was so busy greeting everybody except her, but they didn't notice her, although you better believe that everybody noticed her. I didn't know much then, but I knew that was wrong. So I went over to her and I started chatting and I felt totally out of my depth. And of course, as is often the case and certainly our experience of ministering to sex workers in this church from time to time there's always a lot they want to talk about. And the piece didn't allow us to say everything that she wanted to say. So, so I, I just said, look, look, look let's, let's go back here because she was sort of beginning to open up and getting a bit teary and led her to the back of the church and she just shared a bit of her life and oh my gosh, I felt overwhelmed at the beginning by the end of it, I just, you know, and that was only the beginning. But you know what? I had the privilege of leading her to Jesus. I had the privilege of telling her that she was welcome. She was in. I had the privilege of watching her sitting there sobbing with the mascara running down her face. I gave her my hanky and said, keep it, because it was in a mess. I knew it was wrong and I know people didn't mean it but I knew it was wrong that we ignored her I'm not saying I would necessarily do it again we can all be caught off wrong foot and I know how it works But that's one question that this story of Rahab the unlikely hero challenges me. Who's in and who's out? Who's in and who's out? This church is of a size now where actually it's very easy just to stay you know, in relationship with a small group because it's all going on around us. But I, 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 I hope to God, and I'm not cussing, that this is an inclusive church. I hope to God that we step outside of our Comfort zone and say hi to somebody who stood maybe on the edge just looking in. I hope to God that's the kind of church we are. I'm sure we don't get it right all the time, but I hope to God we do. And the second thing is this you know, Rahab, bless her heart, she wasn't even an Israelite, but she put her neck on the line for the sake of the kingdom. It could have gone horribly wrong. She could have lost not just everything, but her life itself. But she pleaded for her family. She she ran that risk. She she helped the spies. I mean, if the if the town had known that she'd helped them, I mean, you can imagine what would have happened. She was already an outcast that was just the excuse they'd have needed to get rid of her. And so the challenge, the second challenge to me is. What am I doing in my daily life to take risks for Jesus? You know, yeah, I can tell you stories about when I was a student, you know, 30-odd years ago, but what have, I, have I got a story from this last week? I hope so. As it happens, I have, but I haven't got time to tell you that, but you know what I mean? We, we can ride, we can live on the, the exploits, you know, Bibles to China when we were in our early 20s and we're now in our late 30s and we're still telling that story. Well, what about what happened last week? You know, what, what exploits in Christ's name did you attempt? Did you break cover at work and, 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 and own up to the fact you're a follower of Jesus? You know, I think this is <laughs> deeply challenging to me. Maybe to us too. So there we have it really, uh, I'm encouraged by you. I'm i inc- excited. This afternoon, Phyllis and I are getting together with Ritson and Neen Stater. We're meeting with nine families to have a conversation about church planting. If you, you've been in the church for any time at all, you'll know that we've planted out churches. We're planning to plant another 12 by 2020. And we've got nine families who want to join the conversation. Whether or not they'll take this extraordinary, audacious, reckless risk that makes a church planter. I love it that there are nine families that are wanting to have that conversation. Not all of them will be church planters, but I love it that that's where some people are at. Please pray for them. Please pray for us and the vision this church has to plant churches. Oh my God. Wouldn't it be great if when Jesus winds this whole thing up that the vineyard in St. Albans was able to walk into that heavenly place behind whatever banner Christ gives us, holding its head high because we had that reputation of being inclusive, lovers of God, and phenomenal risk takers. I would love that. Let's stand and pray. Can I put the band back up? Let me just pray. Father, I want to say thank you to you for all that you're doing, all that you have done, the extraordinary opportunities that we seem to get to minister to people from all walks of life. And Jesus, you have this extraordinary knack of, of, of just recognizing the lost, the lonely, and those who are hurting. You have a knack of getting alongside them. You have a knack for encouraging people like just fishermen and tax collectors and ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. And Lord, we pray that this is a church that is inclusive and takes extraordinary, audacious risks in your name. And everyone said, Amen.